I'll go start the coffee. I'll be down in a minute. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop. Pastor and Laura, wake up. Good morning. Good morning. Ready to start chapter 16 today? Yeah, yeah. Anything you wanted to say before we get started? I don't think so. Just that, uh, oh, I, I guess I do. Well, we started editing our first podcast yesterday, and I realized how incredibly low energy I am at the beginning, so I'm going to try and pick that up a little bit. <laughs> okay. What? Oh, yeah. It took you like 10 minutes just to say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm just... Okay. All right, we are starting chapter 16 of Acts. Timothy joins Paul and Silas. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived there in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Some churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So they just got done saying it doesn't matter if you're circumcised. And then Paul makes Timothy get circumcised. Yes. Okay. Do you well, want to talk he'll, about that? He'll go on. <laughs> he'll go on and talk about how he makes himself a slave to all, to the strong. He'll become strong to the weak. He'll become weak. And for Timothy, in this case, he thought it would be an impediment to spreading the gospel to those Jewish people if he did not do this. It did nothing for Timothy's salvation, but it was something to clear the air so that people would re- really have nothing uh, to discredit him at all. And for Timothy, I mean, this is a pretty big uh, commitment here, mm-hmm. too. I mean, he's a... So, not, not we a, all know what circumcision is, right? Everybody I, does. I, I would believe so. Okay. Yeah. so. If not, they can Google it. But. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. I just want to endured. In a, I mean, like, how often are these people all naked together? They're, well, they just know. <laughs> they know who their father is, and that's not a practice that the Greeks would use. I mean, there would be, like, Roman bathhouses and things like that. I'm just saying, like, I personally don't know who's circumcised and not circumcised. Well, that's the culture we live in. And I know. That's good. But if he, if people are like, oh, his dad is a Greek, so he's probably not a real believer, or he's not really circumcised, and then is he, like, going to be walking around like, actually, I am circumcised, and, like, telling everyone or showing everyone, or what's the point of this? Like, it seems like it's a pretty private affair but maybe that's just my view of culture today yeah i really don't 
know if they asked him I mean, straight if out. If they're said, already assuming it, like, because he's a Greek. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, his father's a Greek. He said, he's not even circumcised. How can he be one of the people of God? And he says, he's not going to lie about it. Sure. But, you know, in our culture, who would ask you to prove it? Right. But, I mean, the impediment, you said, something's standing in their way that's going to keep them from believing. They're already prejudging him, like, oh, because his father is Greek, then he would have to be kind of, like, proving them wrong. Like, he's overcoming this prejudgment because of who his father is. Yeah, because well, you look at who the disciples are at mm-hmm. this point they're jewish yeah so for them now this is a so he's the greek. first one who's greek is that correct he, as far as i know I, I mean i don't know the history again of the barnabas all of the other people everybody don't else are all i mean the the other disciples that were with Jesus, the other 12, were all Jewish. Um, But it doesn't go into the history of their parents if both of their parents were Jewish. It's just kind of an assumption that we make. But we don't know how far it extends beyond that. I like, talk about how often people are naked together. I just was wondering why... it's a decent question. Why it's such a big deal. I mean, like, they argue about it a lot, but how would people really know... Yes, I don't know the culture as well. I do know about the Greek bathhouses and those things, but I just didn't know how often it is. they all were there. This is a huge thing because it's really almost the, the birthright that makes you Jewish. I know, it's but his mom's you. Jewish. So she could have at birth been like, I want him to be circumcised. But she wouldn't have been brought... When he was a baby, he went, didn't get brought to the temple. Mm. He didn't get consecrated to the Lord on the 40th day after all these things. I mean, again, I don't know. We just know that Timothy is younger, and this is something that they okay. are using against him. All right. So, verse 6, Paul's vision of the man of Macedonia. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we... We got ready once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay. Before we start with Lydia, Mm -hmm. let's talk about this. Have I just been, like, half asleep, not paying attention, or is this the first time? I think this is the first time we we. say we. Okay. So it's possible that Luke has joined them. Luke is coming on this maybe little part of this journey mm-hmm. um and then do you want to speak <clears throat> briefly about the spirit holy spirit 
for keeping them from preaching in different places? Well, Paul, he talks in 1 Corinthians about how he speaks in tongues more than anyone there. He is very devout in prayer and meditation. And it seems that when he got there, uh, he had some kind of direct vision or revelation not to go in there. Now, whether it's the angel of the Lord coming down and actually talking to him, it's um, a prayer, it's someone not allowing them to pass into that area at a border and him saying, well, this is the will of the Lord, let's go on. We, we really don't know because it's not explicit as it is with the next one with, where he has a dream of a man and he believes that to be a need to go to Macedonia. Mm-hmm. So. So God's kind of guiding their mm-hmm. journey. And then, so it's Paul and Silas with Timothy, and now possibly Luke is joining them. Mm-hmm. So they're all on their way for Macedonia. All right. The next section is called Lydia's Conversion in Philippi. Verse 11, again, uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Sam- <laughs> Samothrace. Mm-hmm. And we're and the next day on to Neo- Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who, were, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Anything about Lydia that we should talk about? Well, the seller of purple... Is something to talk about, dealer of purple cloth. Purple cloth would have been very expensive at that time. The way that people would dye purple is they collected thousands of this certain seashell. And then they would be crushed and boiled and made into... It would give off a purple pigment. And that was the color of royalty. So... The expense of it, her being a dealer, seems to show that he she had some amount of great wealth there. And uh, being a worshiper of the Lord, hearing the message of Paul, believing, and then being baptized. You know, they're following the Great Commission. They hear, or they teach, Lydia learns, and she becomes baptized, she and her whole house. So it's just... A wonderful work of the Holy Spirit here. Hmm. All right. Paul and Silas in prison, verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. 
She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners of this slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Then they brought before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. You want to stop and talk about this for a second? Yeah, do you have any? Because it's kind of a long section. Sure. Well, I always think it's kind of weird how many people were possessed by demons back then. Mm-hmm. And I've heard people say that today, um, you know, people who have mental illnesses and things, we we can treat them and we have psychologists and things like that. Um, but back then, people with mental illnesses, people just said they were demons. Have you heard that? I have heard that. And people <coughs> have heard that also when people have eps- epilepsy that oh that was just this or Tourette's it was just just a demon however in these cases of the bible these are demons where they are causing shrieks when they come out of people and in an earlier case in the gospels there's a legion of them and they identify themselves by names i think in our culture the devil's trick is to hide himself as much as possible and demon possession would give more credence to there being demons and then people would logically think there are angels and believe in a god back then the devil didn't have to worry about people believing there was no god for the most part because everyone either believed in a god or more than one god but there weren't a lot of atheists at the time there were what you're saying there have always been some, but it wasn't no, it a, wasn't the, uh, a huge thing, especially like, in like a scientific community. Sure. So now... I just think it's interesting how there's accounts of Jesus and, and then now Peter and Paul where they're like, they spent all day healing the demon-possessed, and it's like, that doesn't seem to happen anymore. I mean, there is there are still demons, there is still mm-hmm. demon possession, but... If Jesus was here today, would there be, like, a line of 500 people who who were like, oh, yeah, I have a demon, like... I don't think it would be 500. I don't think it would be, like, every... I don't know why I picked that number. It's just One out of five demons possess... You know, people are possessed by a demon, but I I think that... But I've heard that a lot of times, that, like, people who didn't know, understand mental illnesses back in the day would just attribute it to demon possession, and then they would have them treated in any number of ways like and by treated I mean not cared for but like handled like killed or put out of town or you know not they weren't looking for for something to cure them they just were like oh you're possessed by a demon and that's the end for you 
in discussions of mental illness in the history of it, but... I think there were still mental illnesses that were going on that weren't demon possession. Right. I mean, it seems that... Uh, well, a good example is Jonah. After Jonah heals the people of Nineveh, he goes out and he sits outside the city and he's so upset at God he just wants to die. And he's just laying there. He's clearly severely depressed at that time. So every mental illness is not that way. Demon possession is just much more common back then. But nowadays, if we're able to help people with mental illnesses through medication, we're not treating demons in this way. No. And back then, they were... When they were exercised of these demons, these demons were, they were healed and they were clearly spirits. Yeah. No, and that's, I just want to. The other point I want to make about the demon telling the future, as far as we know about demons, they cannot tell the future. They cannot go. travel forward in time because no one knows the day or the hour of the end of the world, for example. So they do not yeah, know. Yeah, but maybe they could know, like, little I- insignificant things. I just think they're very astute uh, judges because of the... Um, they have been around since the beginning of the world. They've been sure. observing human behavior and have knowledge from other demons. Mm -hmm. So the predictions they can make Mm -hmm. are of somebody that's seen someone go down this path for quite a long time and can make say, oh, this is what's going to happen in your life because they have this vast amount of knowledge that they've accumulated at this point, you know, over the Mm -hmm. how many millennia. So you're saying they're just good guessing, good at guessing? Yeah, rather than... Rather than actually... Well, they don't control... Well, they're, yeah, they're not all-knowing. But I mean, there could be... In the same way, I mean, they're, they're kind of... They're angels, bad angels, but, like, didn't angels know things that were about to happen? Like, don't go this way. God doesn't want you to I think with go. the revelation of God, letting oh, them know this information yeah. and moving it forward. I suppose. Hmm. Now, whether or not the... You know, they have certain revealed knowledge that we do not have. I might be wrong about that. There might be a case that that has happened. But I think it's predictive knowledge. Well, I was just assumed that if she was consistently making money this way, that her predictions probably weren't bad or too far off. Like, people, you know people can do tricks you know mm-hmm. like mo- pretty much every magician we see today is mm-hmm. just tricks and what are those like cold reading things where you're just kind of like drawing on what's likely if she were doing that then she wouldn't have been as successful because people would be like oh that's a human trick but if she's truly got some gift from the devil then that's why the people end up being so upset that they lost this money-making mm-hmm. scheme. So, I don't know. It's, pr- it's probably 
good to realize that the demon demons are not as powerful as God. Mm-hmm. But I I do think it's important that we know they're powerful, but where their knowledge uh, ends is I don't know if that's is that really known. But well, that's why it's important to know that one hundred percent of God's predictions come true, one hundred percent of His prophecies. Mm-hmm. So even if there's someone that gets sixty percent of their prophecies right and then forty percent wrong. One of these prophecies is, oh, the end of the world is going to be in 2027 on this date. And then it doesn't happen. They are a false prophet. So. Hmm. All right. What else do you have here? Or do you want to keep going? Yeah, I'll just keep going then. I was looking at a little note in the bottom of my Bible, but it's kind of confusing. So I don't want to get into that. Okay. Um, so where do we leave off? They got fastened in the stocks. Okay, so they're all locked up in verse 24 and verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Okay. So, to sum this up, four people, we believe, are together. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Mm-hmm. But Paul... Paul gets this demon out, and then Paul only Paul and Silas are arrested. Mm-hmm. And so that means that Timothy and Luke are still kind of hanging out with the other believers, maybe still staying at Lydia's or something. Could be. Okay. Uh, The angel and the earthquake and everyone's free, but nobody leaves. And the jailer wakes up, listens, he's baptized, he feeds Paul and Silas, and then he brings them back into jail 
in the morning? They... No, they're just staying at his house. Well. The, the only thing the jailer is responsible for is keeping the prisoners there. He, his house probably was right next to the jail. Okay. I mean, immediately next to it, because this was because his job. Because it says, job. when it was daylight, the magistrate sent the officers to the jailer with the order to release those men. And then, um, well, well, we can get into the, the politics of the next part in a second, but they say, no, if you want to release us, come down here and release us yourselves. Like, you know. I don't so, think that's into a dungeon. But if... If they, he had removed these prisoners from their, their actual jail cell after being told to lock them in the inner cell with all these things and blah, 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 and then they knew that the jailer had them in his house, wouldn't there be more, like, discussion about that? <laughs> like, hey, why are the prisoners in your house? Let them go or something, you know? It doesn't mention that they're in his house anymore. So I just picture him, like, walking him back to jail in the early morning and, like, let's just pretend you were here all night. I I don't know, because it doesn't say. I've just kind of assumed that they would have stayed at the jailer's house or continued talking all evening. And it could have been brought up during that time that they were Roman citizens to the jailer. And at that point, the jailer said, well, I'm not putting you back in prison without a trial because mm. I know these things. Okay. So... Mm. All right, well, then that brings us to... The next question, which is Paul's kind of like standing up for his rights here and saying, I shouldn't have been jailed without a trial because I'm a Roman citizen, which Mm -hmm. we know is different. They could jail the Jews for anything, but if you were a citizen, you had these certain rights. So he's saying, you did this wrong, and now you're trying to just let me go so that I, you know, can't make a whatever claim against you. I'm not going to go quietly because this is your mistake. So if you want, if you want to free us, you come down here and do it yourself, you know. And then yeah, they, and it's, it's like they don't know he's a, but hasn't his reputation kind of not yet, I guess, grown to be so big that people know who he is, but. I don't think to this level, especially in every single Greek town, possibly throughout Judea and Israel. I mean, but, like, when when they're arresting him, someone have said, like, he's a citizen. Like, don't arrest him. Who's going to stand up for him? Lydia might possibly, but... Or Timothy or or Luke. Someone might. I don't know. Apparently no one knew, and they had him beat. Nobody did say anything, and... Like, doesn't he deserve a fair trial? Like, nobody stood up for him. I don't think anyone wants to mess with the soldiers if they're arresting someone because they can extort people and they can beat people. They can do all these things. He wouldn't have been a citizen. He probably would have gotten arrested, too. Yeah. So it's true totalitarian rule that's there. You're not going to mess with the authorities at all. And I think the reason why Paul tells the soldiers you're going to escort us out is to protect the people that he's going to leave behind because if he gets swept under the rug the idea might be well we have to really cover our tracks here so let's get rid of that church let's get rid of this belief and this and that Hmm. and this way all those people well now the jailer and now lydia 
and now the 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 girl who was cleared of her demon possession yeah all have some sort of leverage on the roman soldiers who beat a roman citizen without a trial leverage like they can bring it up later and say like if they get caught worshiping god and they get like yelled at they can be like don't yell at us you did something bad a year ago yeah or because those the people that are losing money it's possible they could do something to someone else i'm just i'm speculating here completely i just for him to come out it wasn't just to discipline the soldiers and the magistrates that's not his key uh, target, I guess. His interest is always in the church and the people that he is teaching rather than the authority. Yeah, I, I can see what you're... I kind of see what you're saying now. He came, they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. So I'm, they came out of the prison. They went to Lydia's house and encouraged them, then they left. So, sure, the people now feel... I guess it's encouraging that they didn't... They didn't, like, take him out of jail and then say, and now we're going to put you on trial and do this the right Mm -hmm. way. They kind of did just drop it because, you know, I don't (laughs) know the law and everything at that time, but, like, you know, they... I mean, it'd be like a mistrial. They arrest, They did it out of order or whatever. They they did things improperly, so now they're not going to follow up with... Well, no one had rights to a fair trial. So what happened? Paul and Silas angered somebody that was making a good amount of money, and they were arrested. So what do you do if someone causes a problem? Easiest thing to do is beat them, throw them in jail for a night, and let them go. Say, get out of town. Yeah. So that was the whole thing. It was kind of, I don't know, seems like kind of Wild West, you know? Yeah. Well, it means... Get out of here and never come back. Same sort of mentality with Jesus. Like, they said, this man is advocating customs that are unlawful to accept. So they weren't really arrested because he exercised a demon but because he's advocating unlawful things which is you know pretty broad accusation anybody could Mm -hmm. be doing that but yeah the promotion of ideas that are different to yours Hmm. and that's it's common I mean that's what they killed Socrates for or not Socrates, I'm sorry, uh, what am I, not, what, oh my goodness, yeah, Socrates. I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. Off the top of my head right now, I'm in Bible mode. Yeah, he was killed for <laughs> corrupting the youth by oh, sharing yeah. ideas yeah. that were just challenged authority, mm. and. No, it's nice that we live in America then, right? Mm-hmm, yep. Another great thing about our times. That's right. Anything else? I think that we've discussed a lot on this. <laughs> well. And then next time we've got more 
just looking at the next chapter, it says in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Athens. So traveling around with Paul and we'll see who's going with him and where where he goes, what he does. Great. Have a great day. Scooby-dooby-dooby-doo-wop. Pastor Randall, wake up.